0: Hello and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au Thanks, Lexi. We're good just to pray, so let's uh, do that. Lord, we, we come here this morning just to really acknowledge... That you are our God, and in might moment we'll come to the sermon. But right now we just want to pause and and uh, talk to you, uh, and just really set our thoughts around our need for you. This is really important, Father. Uh, We ask that uh, you be glorified through our church today. We thank you for the joy of of lots of things. We've talked about and congratulated Jonathan and Shannon. There's so many joyous things and we acknowledge they come from your hand. Um, Thank you, Father, for the sunshine. Thank you for community. Thank you mostly for the gospel. So, Father, we, we thank you for that. We come before you today as people that are really needy as well, people that need your grace. Um, and we uh, thank you that through your word we we hear your grace. And I pray that today you help me uh, as we look at this very big passage and that you'd help us, Lord, to really be good listeners, that uh, we would... Um, just hear your voice and that you continue to challenge us and, and uh, confront us that we might really uh, live for you in this world and father we we just want to pray for those that aren't with us today for various reasons as well uh, for illness or travel or uh, for whatever reason also think of thomas and joe uh, over in peru we thank you for them and uh Lord, we ask you to really encourage them as they aren't with us, but may they really feel like they're with us, uh, may they know your love and uh, may they ultimately know your grace and your strength and your, your undergirding them So, Lord, we, we thank you for all these things, this opportunity just to pause right now and to pray and to thank you for who you are. And now, Lord, we open your word. We ask you to grace with that as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to do that just to pray and i did hear from uh thomas and joe by Texas this morning to say that you're watching so hello thomas and joe uh and um it's uh it's just wonderful isn't it you know here they are on the other side of the world uh, and they've sort of put up the exodus uh and they're watching this morning. so that's great anyway we are uh, today in uh, this passage uh exodus 19 and 20 uh, which is such a big passage, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's a passage that is so worth us reflecting on because uh, it is it is this passage where the nation of Israel, along with Moses, are now standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, and it's here where they're hearing the Ten Commandments given. First time. Uh, it's a good time. As I think about that, I think, well, this passage, you can't really be understated, can it? I mean, this is the passage that has, um, has really been at the foundation of all the laws of uh, Western civilization. And it has been the passage through which we understand morality as well. It's how we've worked out what morality is and what we believe is good and what we believe isn't good. It's really hard to understate this. And as a, almost as Western society, really, almost like the nation of Israel, have stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. You know, they've physically been there, but it's like we've been there, listening to these words. And the reason why we've listened to these words is because these are the very words of God himself. Uh, In fact, all of the Bible is that. But it's kind of significant here because one of the things you notice as you work your way through it is that These words, the Ten Commandments, don't come to us by a prophet or through the apostles. They're actually spoken directly by God himself, thundering them from the top of Mount Sinai. It's like, oh, that's kind of significant, isn't it? Yeah, this is really a big thing. And so we've said, these are the laws through which we're going to govern Western civilization. It's been like that for thousands of years. And we say, because they've come from God himself. These are God's laws. So it's a big statement. But it's also true that society has shifted somewhat, hasn't it? We no longer believe in God, and as a result of that, we struggle to know how it is or what it is that we should use to form our morality. You know, what's right and what's wrong, how do we know? It's been one of the things that has lacked clarity as we become more and more secular as a nation. It's one of the, things, the big things that's really changed in our world. And we see it spilling into our streets, really, It's a very interesting thing you know the, the the new law that's been well articulated by a lot of people the new law which really governs us now is do whatever you like as long as it doesn't harm another person that's the new law and that's what we and in the secular world post God post Ten Commandments now live by uh, that's really the mantra but the problem with that is what does it mean to hurt another person uh, that's where it becomes really tricky I was listening to a guy uh, recently, a podcast, and he was saying that sociologists these days, some of them anyway, said we've moved from the time where we were a culture formed around the idea of dignity. And so you know, we responded and we had a sense that you know we're not animals, but we are created by God and there's this dignity, and so we're treated others with di- dignity and we also sought to respond or see ourselves with a sense of dignity, no matter what. People might have said there was a sense of dignity still around here. But, but they said that that time has changed and now we're no longer a culture that's, that's marked by dignity but rather we're a culture that has been marked by being a victim. And it's more about outrage and being offended. And that's what is really marking our society. I think, oh, that seems to be the case, doesn't it? There's a lot of offense out there for a whole lot of things. What does it mean, you know, lives, however you like, As long as you don't hurt another person? Because there seems to be a lot of things that seem to hurt other people. And so it becomes a really tricky subject. So the idea is, this is a very important topic for us, very important text for us, the Ten Commandments. Can't be overstated. It's such a big thing used to hold to it, but now we no longer do. Now we no longer believe in God. And so there's a lack of clarity around what it is to live a moral life. And so today, we get to have a look at it, and I'm glad for that. And when I put it together, I thought, oh, it's so hard to put a handle on this, you know, to frame this, because it's, it's huge. That's uh, how I felt, anyway. Let me do my best. You know, what do we need to hear when we come to this passage today? Chapters 19 and 20 of uh, exodus well there's really four thoughts i want to bring out the first one is about the idea of blessing and then there's this idea of fear which runs straight after that uh, number three it's about kindness and then the last one's about promise okay. so let me take you through this the first one about blessing so we start today in chapter 19 and and uh, one of the things that's really significant about this, that if you've been following along in uh, the Exodus series, there's something which really stands out. And that is back in Exodus chapter 3, and God first speaks to Moses. So remember, reluctant Moses, here he is, around the burning bush. Where is he, by the way, and on the burning bush? Oh, he's, he's at this place called Mount Forib, which is also now known as Mount Sinai. And that's where he is. The burning bush is at Mount Sinai. He's been chasing some sheep. Up up this mountain. He's looking after his father's flocks. And God appears to Moses. It wouldn't be awesome, wouldn't it? In the burning bush, and he and he and he says, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and you're going to let my people go. You're going to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses says, I can't do that. You know, who am I? It's just, it's a beautiful passage that one. I love going through that passage because I feel that way myself so often. Like, oh I'm so, you know, I'm nothing. What can I do in this world? There's a great passage along those lines, and God says to Moses, who's feeling very inadequate, he says, Moses, this is going to be the sign to you, that you're going to be back at this very same location, and you're going to have the Israelites with you. And here we are in chapter 19, and guess what? It's fulfilled. This is a, a marker in the book of Exodus, because here is Moses and the nation of Israel standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. So this is a passage where God is saying, I'm faithful, you know, I keep my promises, God is a God who is faithful. That's what we believe. There is a God who is faithful, a God who keeps his promises. This is about relationship. And so if you turn to chapter 19, we didn't read this, but let me just work our way through the passage. In chapter 19, we come to the last part of verse 2. It says, There Israel encamped before the mountain. So Sinai. While Moses went up to God. And the, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall, you shall say to the house of Jacob, so it's Israel. Tell the people of Israel this You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and if you will keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth, for they are mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's all about relationship, that, isn't it? As you take it in, there's a couple of parts to it, really. God says, first of all, what he's done. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I, I bore you on eagles' wings abortion to myself. Is it God just saying, I told you I was going to do that. I've been faithful. You are my people and I've delivered you from that nation and you're on the one, the promised land, by a side. And then the second part of it, it talks about if you obey, then you'll be in my treasure possession. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When I read that I think, oh that's important, because that's a covenant language. This is remember my covenant, God says. And so it's good to hear this really and to and to because there's a really important point for us in here about blessing, okay? Because it's all about blessing. It's pretty easy to see that. But I, I want us to see it for ourselves, see how it relates to us. God makes his covenant, right? He makes his covenant with Abraham, we've, we've talked about lots of times. It's, it's such a core thing in the whole Bible. You know, Abraham, follow me and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. And so God's made this covenant with Abraham. that was hundreds of years before this particular time at Mount Sinai, right? The thing about that covenant that God made with Abraham is it's really got two things to it. One, one thing that's really important to understand is the covenant that God makes with Israel is as it's unconditional. Right? It's unconditional. God's just going to do it. But the second thing about it is that God also expects that we will participate and that we will obey. And those two things go hand in glove. It's really important is it, that God's covenant that He makes with Israel, which affects all of us, because it brings in the gospel, it's unconditional. In fact, it says in Hebrews 6 that God couldn't swear by anything greater than himself, so you know he swore by himself that he would bless Abraham and he'd make him a great nation and fulfill all of these things. So God says, I'm just <laughs> going to do it. I, Abraham, am going to bless the whole world through you, regardless, effectively. Of how well you behave i'm just going to make sure that i do it it's an unconditional covenant but at the same time there is this almost condition attached attached to it and it's not really a condition of fulfillment but it's a condition of blessing if you like because did you hear what it said there if you obey my voice you will be my treasured possession o nation of israel you will be a kingdom of priests o nation of israel You will be a holy nation. That sounds pretty cool. God's treasured possession. A kingdom of priests, which I take it as the idea of taking and revealing the one true God. So don't mistake this for a minute. The the Bible's been really clear. Genesis has been really clear right at the very beginning. There is one God who created absolutely everything. And he is saying to the nation of Israel, you're going to be my treasured possession. A kingdom of priests whereby you will reveal me to the entire world. But they're going to only really know the true blessing of that themselves as they obey, as they walk with God, as they really let him be their God. Well, it kind of just makes sense that it works that way, doesn't it? It's just the way the relationships always work. I mean, it's always the case. I was, a week ago, I was, I was standing before the altar uh, doing yet another wedding. And here's the bride and the groom, and they're saying their vows to one another, and they sound kind of unconditional in many ways, like promise to death do us part, for better or worse, richer or poorer, etc., etc. But if they don't really build their relationship, they're just never going to know a blessing in that relationship. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be one of the greatest curses in their life marriage is like a garden, we say. You need to build it. A garden looks beautiful because there's a gardener because they spend time doing that. And it's the same with every relationship. It's exactly the same with our relationship with God. And I think it's really important for us to hear this because it's true for the nation of Israel. It's true for the nation of Israel. If you're be my treasure possession and you're going to flourish then you need to obey my voice. It's relationship, folks. And it's the same for us as well. And it's really good to hear this, I think, because Of the world we live in. Uh, So the gospel. What's the gospel? We're people of the covenant as well, aren't we? We're people of the new covenant. Covenant of Christ's blood. And the beautiful thing about the gospel. Is you cannot earn your salvation. You've got to remember that. You've not been saved by good works. Are they? It's got nothing to do with you being a good person. It's got everything to do with what Jesus has done. And he died for you and he rose again. That's the gospel, folks. If you think you can earn it, then God, maybe he'll be pleased with me, then you just, you just don't understand the gospel at all. It's free. It's a free gift given to you. Wow, that's, that's set the world on its edge, that message, the gospel. But at the same time, even though it's a free gift, we have a responsibility to obey. And we live in a world of, of expressive individualism. And expressive individualism, individualism says you can do whatever you like, Which runs so counter to the Gospel, doesn't it? What we've seen with expressive individualism with the rise of the sexual revolution, uh, where the whole thing around what it means to live a moral life sexually has changed enormously in my lifetime. And it continues to change enormously as we speak. And then we talk about other things, like expressive individualism says that I don't need to really have any authorities in my life. I can I can do what I like. And so things like obeying your parents, which is one of the commandments, is not really that big, really. You can obey and honour your parents, really, is the point, isn't it? Honour your parents, you can honour them, but really it's about honouring myself more than anything. Or greed, things around covetousness, you know, you read through the Ten Commandments. Well, you see, in the world that we live in, it tells us that we can live however we like, pretty much. But the truth is as Christians, we need to say, actually, we need to keep our lives in check. We need to realise that God, God has actually revealed to us a certain certain things around what life is to be like. And He says, This is the way of blessing. The way of blessing is to obey thee. So the Ten Commandments are very much for us today. This is what this find blessing is to obey Him. It's really true. We need to hear that. Because there's, there's such a strong voice taking us in a different direction. Such a strong voice telling us that, you know, it's going to be okay. Nobody lives like that in these days. Uh, it's good just to hear it without going on too much more about that. It's important for us to realise the way of blessing relationships are always a two-way street. So keep that in mind. Think about what's going on in your own life. Is this what God says is honouring to him? And if it's not, it's worth repenting of that. For the sake of your own life, for the sake of the next generation, for the sake of the people that are watching me, it's really important. So that's a good point. So the first thing I hear when I come to the foot of Mount Sinai is this is about blessing obedience to God is about blessing. The second thing I hear is it's really a bit of a frightening thing because it's about fear. It took me a while to sort of catch on to this as I was reading it through this week. And I, you know, Monday mornings get together with uh, the interns and, and also with Frank and we read through the text for the week and, and talk about it. And I, I didn't really pick it up at all, not until I'd read it through a few more times and I'd read a commentary on it and I thought, ah, I didn't see that. But actually, chapter 19 is a story of three ascents up Mount Sinai by Moses. He goes up and down three times in chapter 19. And uh, it's kind of interesting around there. The first time he goes up is, is seen there in um, late verse 2, early verse 3 Israel camped around the mountains while Moses went up to God and God tells them things that we've just been talking about, those very verses. And then he comes down again and he tells the people and the people answered all that the Lord has spoken we will do and then moses goes up another two times in chapter 19 and he goes up another two times and basically god is telling him the same thing those two times it's an important point to get here where's where's he going up he goes up again because god wants to tell him that he is holy and the people need to fear him and this is how it goes as you read in verse 8 All the people said, all the Lord has done, we will do. And then Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So that means he's gone back up again. That's how we're supposed to understand that. And notice what God says. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Then you go down a little bit. And he says, go to the people. This is what he's supposed to do. Go to the people and... And consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Wow, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? God is going to come down up to the, the top of the mountain in the sight of all the people. And so this is what we're talking. About. And so you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care. Not to go up into the mountain or even to touch the edge of the mountain. This starts getting really troubling now. Notice what God's going to say. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Wow. How do we feel about that? Don't go, come up to the edge of the mountain, but don't go a foot further. Don't you dare touch the mountain, God says, because if you do, you will be put to death. Then you keep on reading, when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down, so he goes down, this is going down again. And he tells the people, you need to consecrate yourself. And then Moses goes up one more time. Verse 17, the people are now camped around the edge of the mountain. And Moses goes up, verse 19, and there was a a sound of a trumpet. It grew louder and louder. And Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. This is the third time. And he goes up, and why does he go up? He goes up to to be told this, go down again, Moses, and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look at me, and they perish. So Moses went down. And he told the people not to go near the mountain. There's a lot of reading of that, but it's, I just wanted you to get it. It's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? This is about the people keeping their limits. It's about God telling Israel that they are not to treat God in a light-hearted way. I wonder how we feel about that. You know, I, I think it's, it's worth reflecting on that. Why does God have to be so harsh? I mean, why is it that He? It's almost like God's flexing, isn't it? It's like you know, God is this all-powerful God, and it's like He flexes a few times in the Bible, and He says, you know, treat me with respect, or else I'm going to die. And He can because He's powerful, and no one can match His strength. But you know, so sometimes people have said, well, God's like this celestial bully. You know, he's stronger than everybody. And he just likes pushing people around. I wonder if you sort of read it that way yourself. I, I think it probably, you could think of it that way sometimes. God's like this celestial bully. He just likes to flex and push people around. Well, sometimes it gets painted that way, but it's not that way at all, really. He's you know, actually rather something different. It's the idea that God actually is holy. He's actually very different to us in many ways, and so that—that he's perfect, and he is great, and we simply aren't. And there's a great difference between us and God. It's just simply the truth of the matter. You see, it's kind of like you know, like lots of things. You play with fire, and you're going to get burnt. You know, there's certain there's natural consequences for certain things, and in this case, the point that God is making is that he is, in fact, a holy and a powerful God and he wants people and he needs people, and he needs us, in fact, to realise this. Otherwise, we have the wrong idea of God altogether. In fact, we're told the reason for why God actually says this to the people right at the very end, after the Ten Commandments are given in chapter 20. The people have seen you know, the greatness of God. He's spoken from the top of Mount Sinai. And notice their response in verse 18. We didn't read this far, but it's, it's, it's really good. It's worth hearing. Worth hearing it. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, it's a pretty awesome day, really, isn't it? Can you imagine seeing all this taking place? The people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us because we'll die. Yeah, that's... They've seen just the power and the might of God, which is a good thing, because he is indeed really powerful. But notice what Moses says. Moses said to the people, don't fear, for God has come to test you, that you might fear him. The fear of you may be before him in order that you might not sin. It's kind of be verse, that one, isn't it? Don't be afraid, but please be afraid. That's what it's saying. And the idea is kind of simple, like, don't be afraid you're not going to die by hearing the voice of God. But do be afraid. God wants you to fear Him because He is indeed great. And He wants you to fear Him so that you won't sin, so that you will obey the voice of the covenant. Because the voice of the covenant means life. So that's really important for us, isn't it? It's just simply, whether we like it or not, God is powerful. And God is holy. And so we need to make sure we treat him with the proper respect. And God's never going to sell out on those things. Because selling out on those things would be selling out on himself. He is right. He's always been right. His ways are truth. They've always been truth. And we kick against them in our modern world. But we can't really do that. We always will come up against a holy God. It's one of the really important messages of the gospel, is it one of the really important messages of our time? Surely that is it in our world, isn't it? The whole idea of expressive individualism and, you know, Individual self realization is we, we just don't like the idea of God because we want to be in control. But this passage warns us and it says, No, you can do that, but you do it to your peril because there always has been and always will be a God who rules this world. So, this passage we're supposed to, when we come to this passage, we're supposed to have a sense of fear. So two things, really, a sense of blessing. A blessing comes by obedience to God. And then secondly, a sense of fear, because God should be feared, and so we need to think again before we make ourselves the captains of our own ship. Now, that two really good lessons for us, worth reflecting on more. And the third lesson for us is really this idea of kindness, which is really seen in the Ten Commandments themselves. We haven't got time to go through all ten. We're not going to do that. But I just want to make a point on the Ten Commandments that I will bring out a point on the Ten Commandments that I heard this week. And I was reading this week, actually. I thought, oh, that's so good. It resonated with me. A bloke by the name of Ray Auckland, he said, whenever he preaches the Ten Commandments, he said he always has four points. Um, And the four points are these. The Ten Commandments are telling us four things, if you like. Firstly, they are telling us revelation. They're telling us something about God. And it goes something like this. These commandments have been given for us out of God's kindness because he loves us and he wants us to flourish. It's about revelation because they tell us something about God. The idea is, what sort of God would say like the first commandment, for example, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, what sort of God would say, six days you shall work, and on the seventh you shall rest? What sort of God would say, you shall not steal, for example, those things? Well, the sort of God who knows that there are no other gods, that there is only one God, and he's telling us that. He's the sort of God that tells us to rest and to work six days, but not on the seventh. Because he himself is a God who loves to enjoy his creation. God is a God who is happy. God is a God who is blessed. And God is a God who loves to enjoy. It's good to know that about him? He's not just this taskmaster and this person who cracks the whip. He is a God in whom happiness is found. And he is a God who tells us not to steal because he is a God himself that is trustworthy. He is a God who is generous. You can work your way all the way through the Ten Commandments, and that's how it is. It tells us something about God. God is a good God. He doesn't have to be, but He just simply is. And the second thing about the commandments that Ray Alderman says is that they're also uh, about um, confrontation. Because they confront us, and I thought this was really cool. They do. What sort of people need to hear the Ten Commandments? Well, people whose hearts are not exactly what they should be. What sort of people need to be told not to make a graven image? What sort of people need to be told, Thou shalt not covet? Well, there's the sort of people that like to take God and conform him into our own image. They're the sort of people that get told not to covet because we're always looking for more. Our hearts are restless. What sort of people need to get told should not lie? Well, people that do lie. You know, that's the point of the gospel too, isn't it? That our hearts are not what they should be. That we we go after other things. And we, we do so at the expense of God and at the expense of other people. So we usually just walk over the top of other people, so we need to be confronted. We need to be told something about ourselves. We really do need to hear that. We made that point at Easter time. We said that essentially this world says that people are good, but sometimes they do bad things. But the Bible actually tells us a very different story. It says that we actually have a tendency toward being bad, and sometimes we do good things. There's no one that's really good, only God. I don't like the sound of that. I would like to think of myself as a lot better than that. But it's what we do understand that. That we understand our need for the gospel. The commandments are about confrontation. They're confronting us, confronting our hearts, and so we do well to listen to them. Thirdly, Ray Orton says that the commandments are about instruction. And indeed they are, because we need a guide. We need a guide, rather. We need someone to guide us. <laughs> Not very good at making our own rules, and that's the a great challenge before us as a society at the moment, isn't it? You know, how do we work out morality if we don't believe in absolute truth? If we don't believe in a God, how do we work out morality? It's just—it's all very fluid. I—I I read a quote this week by Voltaire. Now, Voltaire wasn't a Christian, and so I don't really know the context in which he said this. It was just a random quote, but it was really good. He said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Oh, that's great, is that, See, we need a guide, because there's a lot of absurdities being said out there. A lot of things being remapped and changed and pitched in a different way outside of what we've believed in the past. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And it does go back, to not the whole thing with the Ten Commandments. So we need instruction. Because we cannot simply find our way ourselves. So I come and I think about this whole idea. Well, all point to make. and I'll come to it in a minute, but I come and think about this whole idea and think we need to, like the nation of Israel, sit at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's what I hope for us to do this morning. And think about it. What do we see? We see that God is offering us blessing through obedience. We see that God is holy and that we do need to take him seriously. And we, we see that, that God is kind because we need to hear the instruction that he's given before us. So the Ten Commandments are still in vogue today. It's changed a little bit is around the Sabbath because the church, as it got established, met on the first day of the week. But still we're supposed to have a day when we stop. And we worship, and we enjoy God's creation, and we enjoy family, and we stop the hustle and bustle of things. Because God's called to us, all that is kindness. But the last point, Ray right, all that makes, and my last point for my sermon is that the Ten Commandments are also about promise. And this is where it really comes home to us, I think, in many ways, as we hear the gospel. What's fascinating about this passage, and it, it comes up again at the end of chapter 24 as well, which is after all the extra commands have been given, that the nation of Israel, as they stood around Mount Sinai, what did they say? They said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And they say it twice, They say it again later on in chapter 24. All that the Lord has said, we will do. If you know anything about the nation of Israel, they simply don't do it. In fact, They don't get very long down the track before they're building a golden calf and, and uh, doing all sorts of atrocities breaking the commandments everywhere. They just don't do it. This is the history of Israel. Just forever flawed, forever failed. They don't obey. And it's still the same the world over. But here's the beautiful promise. Is that Jesus, God says, that one day I'll send my son into the world. This is in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus comes. I'll send my son into the world. The great king into the world. And Jesus comes and he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Don't think that I've come to overthrow the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And he does. He the perfect life. And then he goes to the cross and he dies in our place because we are perfect, people that are imperfect. We don't fulfill the Ten Commandments. We do fall short of God's standard all the time. We build other gods for ourselves. We live for ourselves. We trample on people. We lie. We cheat. We commit adultery, we murder, we hate, we do all those things, we fall short of God's standard. But Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for us, and he's risen victorious, and he makes way for us to know the Father. And one of the things he does, one of the great promises in the Old Testament, which is true for us today, is he puts his Holy Spirit in our hearts. And that's the great promise, isn't it, that that comes through. It's, it's written about in Jeremiah 31, and it's repeated for us in Hebrews of chapter 10. God says, This is the covenant that I make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts, and I'll write them on their minds. That's fulfilled in the New Testament. What they're saying is that, as Christians, we can actually live obediently, powerfully, obediently, Jesus, We don't have to be like the nation of Israel. I look around and think, I does not seem to be that way. The church is pretty flawed. I'm pretty flawed. Lots of times when I fall short, lots of times I look at the church and think, goodness me, it's no different to anybody else. That's true, isn't it? But it doesn't have to be that way. See, we can actually be people that shine like stars in the dark night is by hearing the gospel we have the spirit of god and we need to listen to the spirit of god As so always say come to church read your bible go to bible study just hear the gospel see because our greatest motivation for following jesus is not actually fear but it's love it's knowing that he has loved us and we see the love that he's shown for us It's all the way to the cross. And when we look at that, we say, I love what he has done. I love who he is. And I'm going to live for him. That's what it is to listen to the voice of the Spirit, by hearing the gospel. and Letting that be replayed in our lives and in our hearts. And choosing to set aside all the other things and follow after him. So the point that I see in this passage is that God is a God who is the one true God, the holy God. We have to choose whether we will line up with him or not. But if we do, it is the way of blessing. It is the way of life that is found only in him. So it's a great challenge for us this morning is reflect on this. <laughs> do we really believe that? Are there areas where we're holding out on God? Because he wants us. He tells us this out of his kindness He wants us to follow Him and live for Him. And He wants us to be a blessing for others. To draw others to Himself is the way of grace. But the way of grace is a way of surrender. the way of obedience, the way of following after Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for... This What is a very big passage, and I I pray that You will speak to our hearts today. Um, No doubt all of us... Lord, there are areas in our lives where we hold on to tightly and we need to relinquish them to you as a great God and King. Lord, we think about you as the holy God, as we think about you as the God who gives us commandments. In some ways, maybe it makes us feel uneasy, but the reality is it's the great truth. And yet you love us. Lord, I pray that you have your way through us. And commit ourselves to continue to change us, bless this church, and help us, Lord, to to live for you in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.